When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They're just a lot of fun visiting with our guest, Mr. Howard Garrett, the Dirt Doctor, and uh, just, you know, the home of the best website on the Internet. In fact, the only place I think you're going to find really good gardening information for our part of the country, and that is DirtDoctor.com. Uh, let's say good morning, Howard. Good morning. Uh, we are wet here. How about y'all? <laughs> we are dry, dry, dry. That's amazing. I keep missing it. And and chilly. You know, I was looking. I think your low for tonight is supposed to be forty-eight or something. Mine and Bernie is going to be thirty-nine or forty. So uh, it's it's funny that we can be just a short distance apart and yet the weather be so different. I I hope you're not getting any of the violent weather up there. Hopefully, it's just a nice rain this time around. Well, so far it's just been uh, steady and slow. I was supposed to make a personal appearance at the Herd Museum today, and I don't know if we're going to be going or not because it looks like it's going to be just steady rain all day long, and <laughs> they don't have any way to move it inside. So it's, um, I think, possibly uh, some you know violent, violent spots here and there, but yeah. overall it may not be too bad. Well, we could sure use some more moisture. As soon as you get what you need, just push it on down south. and uh, send it down there. <laughs> we'll look forward to it. We're going to do a fun seminar this morning. We have a lady come in that's going to uh, be talking about pollinators in the garden and how to attract them. And uh, I think it's going to be just real interesting. I don't know about y'all. We just don't see the numbers of honeybees we once had in town. I still have plenty of them up at the ranch, but... Uh, um, it should be real interesting. I'm looking forward to learning more about pollinators and all the things other than European honeybees that uh, will benefit us. Well, it might be kind of interesting to talk uh, about whether there's a, a thought that the pesticides and all, of course, if they uh, hit them, hit the insects, they hurt them. But yeah. I wonder if the insects can even detect them and stay away from properties that uh, use a bunch of bad stuff. That would be an interesting thing to look into. It I'm, may be as powerful or more, more powerful than actually hitting and killing the insects. I'm going to make a note right now to ask her about that because uh, from you know everything I'm hearing and reading, it's the neonicotinoids that are probably the worst on the honeybees. And uh, I know a lot of areas uh people nurseries uh, or people selling plants actually have to have a warning label on it that hey this has been sprayed with neonicotinoids i know that's true with a lot of the box stores and i think that they're really feeling like i think that this colony collapse disorder is much more complex than just the pesticides i think it has a whole lot to do with transporting them around and lots of other stuff that just doesn't make much sense but I'm interested in learning, too, about uh, what we can do to encourage the uh, the solitary bees, the mason bees and things like that. And my reading's telling me that they are probably much more effective as pollinators than even the honeybees are in our area. Oh, I think so. You know, honeybees not a not a native insect, and so a lot of the native things that we recommend, and probably a lot of them that you never think about, like the black soldier fly mm-hmm. and 
things like that. The, the adults, we don't give that much credit to a lot of times, but um, I think that the uh, they can be very helpful pollinators. Yeah. Well, I, you know, and, and I was going to ask you what you see up in that area. I feel like we're seeing more interest in vegetable gardening than we ever have. I mean, everybody, of course, loves growing tomatoes and peppers, but uh, which, you know, which are mostly wind pollinated. But we're getting so many people want to grow squash and melons and cucumbers and beans and all those things where we really need the pollinators. I, I think it's a very timely topic. You know, a, a little bit related to that is a, a study I just did while I was writing my next column that will uh, show up in the Dallas Morning News this coming Wednesday. But it was on why the, the uh, oak flower production <laughs> has been so great this year. You know, I, I had a lot of questions about it, and I, I started writing it, and I thought, well, let me just look up a few things, and I learned a couple of things. Uh, in more detail than I'd ever uh, studied before. The the catkins that make all the mess are the male flowers, and the, they form on last year's growth. The, uh-huh. the female flowers are little bitty, almost, you know, you don't even see them on the new growth, this year's uh, new growth, and the timing has to be just right. I've always told people, that you're going to get more flowers and more fruit on a plant that's stressed, and I think that's still true, and I even mm-hmm. mentioned that in there. But it can also be the opposite when you have the really great weather and rain like we had in the fall, like you and I talked about last yeah, week, yeah. producing all this lush growth and everything. That sets up a condition where the flower production will be really good. But the other things that come into play are the wind is helpful, like you're saying on the vegetables, it, the uh, the oaks are wind pollinated, mm-hmm. and if you get a late freeze, it will damage that pollination. So there's a whole bunch of things that have to fit in place for you to have this huge flower production like we've had this year, <laughs> and whether or not you're going to have a huge production of acorns in the fall, which a lot of people are interested in having. Sure. Some people, most landscape people are not, but people that you know, are trying to feed wildlife and things like that like that acorn production. And so all of those pieces have to be in place for that to happen. It's not just one thing. It's not just good rain. It's not just wind. It's, not, it's all of those things put together. Uh, to have that good production. Oh, that's that is really interesting because that is exactly what we had. Is we had just outstanding fall rains, and I not thought about the fact that uh, you know, of course, the pollen's a male part of the process, and so that could easily be why we, or one of the things that fits into why we had such a heavy, heavy production uh, of all that all that stuff you say as we see on the ground. I the, the thing that I still don't have an answer for, and that is, is there anything different, or is it just the amount of pollen? Because I've never really been bothered by oak pollen, but I mean, I it it affected me severely this year, and uh, I think you've said some of the same, and I've talked to a number of people down here that said, "Wow, I never had allergies before, but this spring it's just you know kicking my behind." I think it's just the volume because uh-huh. I mentioned in the column, you, I'm sure everybody has noticed, uh, like we have here, that there's yellow pollen all over everything. <laughs> and it's just it's just from the huge volume of uh, flowers. 
And, of course, you know, the main reason I started riding the column in the first place was people asking me, you know, does it hurt to leave them on the ground and in the beds and all that? And I said, no, that's no. really, really nice mulch. It's really breathes very well. It has a nice texture, and it's great. You just put it right in the beds. I suspect it's higher in protein, too, which means it's going to have a bigger nitrogen component, which means it's actually going to have some fertilizer benefits as it breaks down. Yeah, and provides the carbon you know the organic matter they are when they fall they're spent they've already all those little uh nodules on the uh, catkins or flowers each mm-hmm. one of them is an individual flower and they burst open and that's where the pollen is all coming from and then they uh and then the empty uh calyx i mean uh catkin falls uh, to the ground so it's yeah it's good in nutrients it's good in organic matter good uh good for everything people throw putting it in bags and throwing it away are really really being silly they're really missing out and it's certainly keeping a lot of the car washes very busy this year oh, yeah. <laughs> it's uh it, it's just it's amazing what a strong how much of it is there and and if you don't just see it there uh we were writing newsletter the other day and roberta's golden retriever was out running around the grass and literally came back with orange feet you couldn't see all the pollen on the grass but man her feet were sure coated with it when she came back in yeah you've got to have the the right angle and the light hit it right and or you don't even notice because it it just completely covered uh, everything and it did it several times in fact here in dallas the uh the, the catkins are not a hundred percent down yet it varies from oak to oak mm-hmm. also and uh tyson woods came by my office i got some uh tree trimming uh, mulch from him the other day and he came by and he had taken some pictures of some of the oaks he said he had never seen uh, the flower load on the trees like it uh, has been this year yeah it's it's well and he's in the business. I, I'll have to talk to some of our guys down here, but I don't ever remember quite this heavy production. And uh, and it's funny, oaks are, are so interesting. You have two supposedly same species of trees side by side, and one of them is fully leafed out now, and the other is just the third leafed out. But what they all have in common, every oak that I've looked at has had very, very heavy catkin production. So... It's just an interesting year. You know, people that keep their eyes open and watch nature around them, it's uh, you kind of scratch your head trying to figure it all out. But that, that's really interesting that the uh, male part of the flower, the pollen-producing part of the flower, uh, is on last year's wood, whereas the female's on the new growth this year. That that could explain a whole lot. Yeah, I didn't even uh, put that in the details in my <clears throat> original books because of uh, doing research back in those days i never ran into that point but after i saw it i started looking at uh, my own trees and sure enough lo and behold the um, uh, the male are on last year's and the female are on this year's and you can't see the female the females almost look like little uh, beginnings of little buds uh-huh. and very indiscreet indiscreet uh, uh little flowers well, it's going to be interesting, So, and that means that even though we had extremely heavy uh, pollen production, we may or may not be related to what we get in acorns this year. So uh, always something to watch, always something very interesting to watch out there. Yeah, and in, in fact, it, it might be it, y'all got a late frost, mm-hmm. you know, then we didn't. It, it could vary that much. People that got a, a frost after that uh, uh, flowering process that started may not have many 
uh, acorns at all, we may have a huge number uh, again this year. We had a huge, you know, amount this yeah. uh, past fall too. <laughs> and and on things like some of the bur oaks, that's uh, you know that's the opportunity to have some real kind of problems out in the yard. I love bur oaks, but my gosh, those acorns are so huge. I don't want to get clomped on the head, and I don't want to be out there hitting them with the mower either. Of course, most people mow too low. I mow much higher, and so it wouldn't be much of an issue. But uh, it's well, it'd be fun to watch. We we got frost up in the hill country. In fact, last was it last Tuesday or Tuesday before, I had a pretty heavy frost. I don't think we've had anything in San Antonio, so... You know, in our immediate area down here is probably not going to be a big deal, but hill country will be fun to watch. I think so too. We, I think I told you we actually took a bur oak out in our front yard because it yep. was uh, acres falling on the house and <laughs> sound like rifle shots. I hate it too. It was a pretty tree, but uh, the uh, Texas ash that I've got there was a much much better choice. It's doing really well. Well, and a much less common tree too. Bur oaks are fantastic, but. Uh, uh, it's a shame when you have to pick one tree over the other, but Texas ash is something you just don't see often enough. Uh, I was looking, I've got little wafer ash coming up around various places on the ranch. And it's, yeah, that's a good tree, too. It, it's, a, it's just a really good tree. We, we sure could use a little bit of moisture, but, you know, it's surprising. Everything's coming out very nicely. The uh, red buckeyes are pretty much uh up and starting to flower and pretty much fully leafed out and it's still that stage where you can stand on the side of a hill and look out and see about 15 different colors of green and it's funny how by the time we get to midsummer all the trees seem to have about the same color but i think the the red oaks are about the brightest of the greens out there and then uh the escarpment uh, cherry comes in somewhere in the the live oaks, of course, are just starting to come out, but it's just—it's amazing how different things are, and you just realize don't realize how much diversity you have in a canopy until this time of year when every tree looks a little different. Well, it's going to be an, an interesting continuation of, of spring, and uh, well, I, I've never seen the plants we talked about it last week, but I've never seen the plants so lush as they are this year. And I think it's going to be even more so here with this rain we're getting now. Our crepe myrtles are slow coming out down here. They're probably the slowest of uh, things that we have a lot of, and they are really just now starting to come into full foliage. Uh, so it, that's same, been the other thing. Yeah. yeah, They like it hot. They really like it to get hot and be bright uh, sun. Somebody was mentioning to me the other day that they – uh, had noticed that the mesquite tree still hadn't made any uh, sign at all. So, you know, we may or may not uh, be through with any frost. <laughs> well, my mesquites are coming out all over the place. And uh, and pecans are funny. I've got some pecan trees that are almost fully leafed out, and yet I've got pecan trees that the buds are bar- barely swelling on. But the, the weasatch and the mesquite down here are out, so... but. I don't know. I've always said pecans were a better indicator, but my pecans, I guess, must be confused because half of them say it's all behind us, and the other half say, well, I'm going to wait just a little bit longer. Well, they may be right. It may be spotty like that. <laughs> you may have some pockets where you, uh, with this uh, next cold snap that we have, that actually get down to uh, frost. Well, it's, it'll be interesting to interesting to see. So, uh so you may or may not be uh, up in McKinney at the Herb Museum today. You've got another uh, um, appearance coming up pretty soon for Mother Earth News, don't you, too? Yeah, it's the Asheville, North Carolina one. It's uh, 
one that I'm looking forward to. We uh, have done it one time before. It was the first time I'd been in that part of the uh, country. Uh, well, I was in uh, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have a lot of free time seeing, while you were there. <laughs> yeah, seeing the pretty part of the state, This was the, uh, that was the first time. So, yeah. My appearances, if anybody's interested, are on DirtDoctor.com under the appearance button there on the on the home page. One, I got a new uh, thing with my art. I did an outdoor piece on. Uh, you mentioned that that you're working on it. Yeah, I finished it and got it hung, and I'll uh, try to put it up on Twitter and and Facebook. Looks good. Looks nice. I, I found a uh, did a little research and came up with uh, a clear. Uh, sealant it sounded like it was the least toxic and the most uh, effective i could find and it really gave it a bright look it's going to be interesting to see how well it holds up out in the uh, the temperature changes outside well you're just you're doing so many so many interesting things now and of course going to benefit torque which is just a wonderful organization you have any new projects coming up i know uh um, the landscape, uh, well, the, you know, the whole basic series, you mentioned you were doing some additional videos now, and is there anything special we should be telling people to watch for there? No, we're, uh, we're going to be adding, um, more as soon as we can. I'm also working on that, uh, publication. It's probably going to turn into a self-published book that I mentioned to you where it has thumbnails of insect damage or mm-hmm. disease or, you know, somebody wondering what it was just all down the left side and then out to the right, the identification of it and the uh, uh, you know recommendations on what to do with it. So anybody that has any, uh, whether you know exactly what it is or not, insect or disease condition or whatever that um, you think might be good to add to this to help people, send it to us and we'll add it uh, to the list. Are you going to do a section on beneficials in this one as well, just so people can see which ones are not a problem? Or is that beyond uh, the scope be of this? It good to do that. Um, you could, you know, I've got that information. We could just add that either at the beginning or at the end. That probably wouldn't be a bad thing uh, to do because I think a lot of people make a mistake on that. Uh, when they see beetles running around on the ground, that's probably one of the most, <laughs> uh, you know, one of the area where people make the worst choices, killing very, very beneficial insects. And Roberto was pointing out uh, a really important thing the other day, too, and that is that uh, even if you know what the adult looks like, you might not know what the larval stage looks like. And one real good example were the uh, uh, the little gossamer-winged, um, oh, what am I trying to say, lace wings, uh, in that their larvae looks like something that would be out eating and causing problems on plants. It looks kind of like a cross between a grub and a caterpillar, but it's just the early stage of one of the most beneficial creatures we've got out there. And uh, you brought up the flies, which uh, as far as being good pollinators, but uh, some of the flies are really important in uh, in control of everything from caterpillars to other insects. It, I know it just it, it takes a, a small publication and turns it into a much bigger one but it it might be a real interesting thing just to just have a few picture of don't worry about these guys when you see them they may look ugly but they may be some of your good friends out there too well people are mistaken about as simple a thing as green lace wings and and uh, ladybugs all all the time i show in in my pest control talks i show the uh, larvae of the two, and they're kind of surprised. You know, the the uh, ladybug looks like 
you know, a little uh, alligator, and the green mm-hmm. lace wing looks very similar. It's just about, it's only about half the size. And yeah. they, they're like, oh, my goodness, I saw those on my plants, and I sprayed some soap. And I, well, that hurt them. I said, well, not going to do me any good. <laughs> and when you see those on your plants, you don't need to go to the time and, and expense of spraying because they're going to take care of the problem for you. And those little round balls that the parasitized aphids, when the little uh, wasp parasitizes the aphids, how it just turns into that little brown round bead. I love looking at that with the magnifying glass because you can still see the legs sticking out in all directions, but it's like somebody took and blew them up with a basketball pump or something like that. And the, the eggs on the lacewing, too, are fascinating to me, that little silken thread with the white egg up on top of it. Uh, I find virtually nobody knows what that is. And and that's uh, again a sign that you've got something very good going on in the garden. Yeah, and you can get fooled on that too because the green lacewing eggs are up on those little uh, white threads. Yeah. Brown lacewing, which is just as beneficial, its eggs are flat on the surface of the uh, leaf or whatever it is. They're totally different. Yeah. It uh, yeah, it would be good to do. It's um, it it's just a matter how much. Time we take, you know, and we don't want to make it where it's uh, competitive with the the bug book. Right. uh, It just needs to be a quick reference thing so where you can look up something that you need to identify real quickly and look out to the side of that photograph. I think think that'll help people even more than the bug book. Oh, yeah. Well, it'll be a good companion to it. Uh, Speaking of beneficials, one thing that uh, we have been uh, disappointed to learn we use down here trying to prevent grasshoppers we in the past years we've had baits uh, called semispore and nolo which were that nosema locustri that uh, was so good at controlling them and apparently the people that make it are retiring from the business and we're yeah. still yeah it's uh if you yeah the ones that are making it and and semispore has been the one that uh, that we've had the best access to or we've had the biggest supplies of. And so far as we can tell, it's just not out there. Now, the people that were making it under the name of NOLO, we've been trying to track down and got two or three of our big suppliers looking for that. So I think we're going to stock up on the... Uh, you know, on, on the, uh, oh, what am I trying to say, the surround WP, but uh, that, of course, is after the grasshoppers are already up and out. But if you or anyone you know of hears of a of a source of the Nosema locustri, I sure would like to know about it. Well, that's interesting because one of my listeners keeps uh, uh, calling me every year with a report, and he's been using semi-spore, I think, specifically. It may have been Nola Beta was one of them and beneficial nematodes uh-huh. every year, and he has had just tremendous uh, success with the c- control where, you know, all the people around him in his uh, county are still having big problems. So it's a great tool. I hope that somebody, if they do quit, that somebody picks it up. Well, we're, we're told that the semispore is totally, is definitely gone, and it's something, of course, that doesn't have a real long shelf life, but... Uh, um, hopefully he'll be looking around as well, but you might just give your, or talk to your suppliers up there. But we, we get, uh, we actually get the semispore from the same people we get the, uh, beneficial nematodes from, but they produce their own nematodes, but, but buy the semispore. But I guess that's just a heads up for anybody. And I don't yeah, know what to think I, about. I did not know that. So yeah, I'll I don't look in, into it. Here too. Don't know. Don't know what to think about grasshoppers this year. I'm seeing a few, not seeing very big numbers, but uh, 
We're just not seeing, you know, just not seeing the number of wasps we usually see by now. I think the the insects are just a little slower coming out this year, and I'd like to hope that it will be a, you know, a slow year on grasshoppers. We certainly did not have a big infestation with the gall worms and some of the caterpillars that we normally get early on this year. So it's always just a wait and see what it's going to be as far as summertime. The insect we're seeing the most around the house here is the crane flies. They've been mm-hmm. all over the place. I haven't seen any mosquitoes yet at all. So it's all a little bit different this year. So we'll see what uh, we'll see what happens. The fact that more and more people are using, you know, releasing trichogramma wash. We've that's one thing. I don't know if I passed on to you or not. We've got another listener that that swears to themselves that they're getting. Uh, help with the control of um, uh, squash vine borers and squash bugs from BTI. Really? The reason they're thinking that is they're putting BTI in their uh, water, in their tanks that they use to water, you know, Mm -hmm. to control mosquitoes. And so they're watering every time they water with a, a water that has some BTI in it. And they said since they've been doing that, they've had a whole lot less damage from uh, the squash. Wow. I don't see how it could be working, but uh, (laughs) it may be more effective on uh, insects other than just, uh, you know, mosquitoes, fungus gnats, and uh, black flies. It's a little bit of a head-scratcher and maybe even something to worry about a little bit because if it does affect other insects than we thought, does it, affect any beneficials that sure. we don't know about. Yeah. Well, I, I'm trying to remember. I think it was, uh, uh, might have been that you mentioned on the trichogramma that uh, some people were feeling feeling like it helped with flea control, which yep. is, yep. Um, you know, that's another little bit of a head scratcher. And, boy, talk about something that where we need all the help we can get. I'm sure Tater would agree with us and Nellie would agree big time on that one. But um, we're... Uh, uh, it's it's just one of those really interesting things, and squash vine borers are probably the biggest problem that we hear about in vegetable gardens. Now, I did hear from somebody toward the end of last year that he had found a pheromone trap that he thought was working real well on the vine borers. So, uh, going to look a little bit more closely into that this spring too, and see what we can find. We'll just keep watching and keep learning, as we always try to. Well, listen, if you make it to McKinney and uh, uh hope you enjoy your day at the herd and you keep us posted on where you are because i'm amazed at how many people up in the up in your area actually listen to us on saturday morning and then listen to you on sunday so love to feel like we're helping get the word out well it was fun as always and we'll see you guys next week we look forward to it howard thank you so much okay Bye. bye Mr. Howard Garrett is the dirt doctor and um always enjoy visiting with them always something new and different going on and once again, learn something and lots of new things to think about. Good morning, Judith. Good morning. It's starting to rain here in Bernie. Oh, well, that's good news. <laughs> yes. Um, I have a question, and it might be simple, so I apologize. Um, but what do I do about those little green bugs that show up on my rose, uh, my roses, the rosebuds? I think they're aphids. Okay, yeah, aphids are very, very common on roses. Um 
they aphids are you know pretty delicate little creatures there are a lot of different ways to go after them uh many times you can just put your thumb over the hose and just blast them off the aphid usually has its mouth parts down into the stem on the rose and when you hit it with a stream of water those things stay attached and the rest of the aphid body goes the other direction um, you can release some ladybugs. They will control them very quickly. Or if you want to spray even the mildest insecticides out there, uh, insecticidal soap, or uh, I like this new product called Spinosad soap uh, that is very safe, harmless, harmless to people and pets, and it will kill the aphids very effectively. There is still one other way to go after them, which I especially recommend on roses, and that is to spray with one of the garlic sprays, either garlic barrier or mosquito barrier. You spray early in the morning. The garlic is taken up by the plant, and the aphids don't like the taste of it, and that will usually drive them away. The good thing about garlic is that it will take care of that little insect called the thrips insect, that gets down inside the bud and causes problems. Oh. So lots of different ways to, to go about getting rid of the aphids. And, uh, um, you know, again, it, it brings in so many beneficials. Just spraying is my last option with anything toxic. But if you're going to spray, just make it insecticidal soaps or one of those mild products because they'll kill them without doing a lot of damage to anything else. Okay, and then my last question is, um, I think we have a peach spore. Okay. It's, um, it's, it's, there's like this brown sap coming out of the peach tree. Uh-huh. Last year I had like a ton of peaches. This year I still do, but one third of my tree died. Okay. Um, I, I don't know what to do. Like, I, I think last year I saw the sawdust around the tree, the tree right, trunk. Right. And I didn't, I was, I was very ignorant. I didn't know what that was. I thought, <laughs> you know, the dog got something. Um, cause I'm just now, you know, learning about gardening because it's becoming my passion. <laughs> but now good. I have this brown tree sap coming out, and I, I think it's peach spore, but I still have, like, a ton of peaches. But, again, half a third of my tree is gone. Yeah. What, what can I do, or is it lost? Well, no, it's not necessarily lost. Uh, and, actually, we have learned a much easier way to get rid of peach borers. They used to kill just a whole lot of trees, but we're finding we can actually spray the bark of the peach tree with orange oil. And it doesn't have to be super concentrated, maybe two tablespoons to the gallon. Or if you're using a little hand sprayer, you could just put about two teaspoons to a quart of water and just spray up and down the trunk of the tree. And the orange oil will actually kill the peach tree borer underneath the bark. So it's it's a great way to do. Now, on all peach trees, I still recommend check the base of the tree. Make certain that the root flare is exposed, that you don't have that tree buried too deeply in the ground, because that weakens the tree and makes it more susceptible to the borers. But where you have the borers, just orange oil and water sprayed on the trunk will take care of them. Okay, yeah, the tree is about 10 years old. I mean, it has a pretty thick trunk so we'll we'll definitely do that and i really appreciate all your advice on your show thank you so much for this well it's my pleasure and you keep that rain coming down my pastures need uh, need more than just a drizzle so hopefully we'll get a good rain before the wind blows it all away this afternoon i agree you have a great one thank you judith appreciate it thank you <laughs> goodbye uh-huh, bye. bye all right uh next up is terry good morning terry 
Hi, Terry. Uh, God, I'm not. <laughs> I've been writing notes to myself, Bob. <laughs> You're a smart lady to do that because. Oh, uh, Lord. Yeah, it's. Uh, anyway, it's been a lot, that last month has been like what I just said today. God, total confusion. I had a yard full of weeds. I sprayed them with the wonderful orange oil and the 9% vinegar because that's the high mm-hmm. acidity level, which, golly, it actually stings when it gets on your, yeah. on your skin. And I just, the broadleaf died perfectly, but I had high, tall, feathery stuff, and it did not work on that. So I had a guy come in with a, with a big old huge monster mower and mowed it all down. That's, that's the thing I, to do. I have these little stalks that I have really thick shoes, you know, but my poor dog is, their sticks are sticking out like, you know, little pencil-sized mm-hmm. stalks, and their heart is rock. Is there anything to do besides water them and try and dig them up or pull them up to get rid of the stalks that are like two inches on the ground? Of course, keep mowing. Well, keep mowing is right, and you can spray with uh, anything has molasses in it or has Medina Plus in it. That will get them rotting very quickly. Um, okay. It's, and how do you make the molasses compound again? Just a couple of tablespoons to a gallon of water. And that's powder, right? No, no, no. This is liquid. Just get, get some old, real molasses, put it in a, uh, in a sprayer, and spray it with a sprayer. Yes, and okay. get get the cheapest molasses you can right. find. It may or may not be the grocery store molasses, but most feed stores will have agricultural molasses. You could get the dry molasses and just scatter it around, but I think it's more effective to just coat it because what molasses does is it stimulates the uh, microbes that tend to break this stuff down. I mean, it'll take care of any thatch or anything else. Our problem is, and I have the same thing in my yard, but uh, it's just we let the weeds get too big before we started mowing, and that's why we've got these real stiff, thick, little hard stems sticking up. But uh, they will they will decay fairly quickly. And uh, other than just getting out there and at least create a little bit of a safe zone for your dog by mowing them down low enough. Cause, oh, there's uh, enough for her around the yard. It's big, but but it's me walking out there and going on, my gosh, I'm glad I have shoes on, you know. Un- would, would black tarp over it, like killing grass, work, do you think? I have a big brown tarp that I could... Well, um, I, I don't want you to kill your good grass underneath because... I don't think there's anything underneath it, Bob. It's all brown. I mean, um, it's pretty dead. Give it, give it a week's time and see, because looking at my yard, uh, it's just not growing yet. And I, when I dig down uh, in areas that I've watered, I'm seeing some Bermuda come out, so I know it's there. But it's just so blasted cold. Bermuda loves the heat. No, I know. I can't believe this is, honest to God, first spring, uh, real spring in my lifetime, and I'm almost 70 in San Antonio. I <laughs> yeah. mean, well, and we and Bernie, we may, uh, we may have a frost tonight. Oh, my Lord. It's uh, They're looking, wow. the forecast actually says 39 or 40, depending on which forecast you look oh at. But gosh. all the old timers keep telling me if Easter's late, you know, you're always going to have an Easter cold spell. And I just hope this is the last one. But the bottom, the result of that is that, and that's why it's been such a, a good year for weeds, because the grasses, St. Augustine's barely started growing. The Bermuda, the zoysias aren't growing yet. So they haven't, there hadn't been any competition for the weeds. Right, so weeds right. have just sort of had their way with, uh, with our yards. But I think you'll find your molasses spray is going to be all you really need to get those, uh, stubbly little things breaking down. If you're absolutely certain that there's no beneficial grass under there, sure, you can, you can 
cover it up. But uh, I, what I'm afraid is that, while. Yeah. is that it's just it's going to poke holes in your tarp unless it's a real. I mean, if it's a heavy-duty <laughs> canvas tarp, that good you, point. Yeah, you walk you walk <laughs> on it on top of that, and all of a sudden you've just ruined a good tarp because it's got. 20 jillion little things sticking up <laughs> through it. So I'm just going to go with the molasses. And uh, yeah. molasses, warm weather, and a little bit of moisture, it's going to take care of it pretty quickly. Well, and two quick questions. My lemon trees are full of buds, but the, I don't get any lemons off of them. What am I doing wrong you, between the budding? You just may not have enough pollinators out there. You need to come to our seminar this morning on all about attracting pollinators. The other thing you can do is get out there with a little artist paintbrush and just start dusting around inside the flowers if you're not seeing bunches of bees because lemons do require insect pollination and uh, we just were we're low on pollinators. That's why we thought we'd do this seminar this morning is uh, just uh, give people, let them learn different ways to bring in pollinating uh, the little what we call solitary bees, the mason bees, and some of the beneficial flies and things like that. But, but the yellow uh, jackets don't pollinate? They don't do much pollinating, okay. no. And one more question. The yard is full of swells. I've had tree stumps removed. Who should I hire to level out the yard? I don't want to hire a landscaper because they'll be just a yard worker to come in and smooth out the bumps in the yard. I mean, there are small little mounds in the yard where there were tree stumps, and I've had them cut down. Well, it's, uh, you know, it is just basically a job for a laborer uh, to do. I would, of course, uh, you know, be putting out some compost, some good things like that. But Mm -hmm. um, you can speed up the decomposition of those stumps by drilling some holes in them and then putting your uh, saltpeter, also sold as stump remover, in there. This will cause the stumps to decay much more quickly. If you have places where uh, you still have the physical evidence of a stump there, um, get somebody with a stump grinder. There's a fellow out at R&R Tractor named Kelly. He's my small engine mechanic out there, and I know Kelly does spends a lot of time uh, actually grinding those stumps. It's a machine they roll in and set down and literally just chews that stump up uh, six or eight inches down into the ground. And if if you physically have the stumps there, that's probably what you need is someone with a stump grinder to grind that down more quickly. Super. Well, thank you so much, and happy Easter, Bob. Thanks and a lot. And to you as well, Terry. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye. We've got time for a little more gardening, so we're going to talk to Martin. Good morning, Martin. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Uh, yeah, my question was, uh, I have a, a, a friend that has a, these weeds that look like poinsettias, and okay. also uh, also uh, uh, crabgrass looks like those monkey grass, but mm-hmm. bigger. How, how can you get rid of them? Or well, right now the best thing to do is just mow them off because most of the weeds that are out there are cool weather weeds, and as soon as we get a little bit warmer, they're going to die out naturally. Now, if uh, he wants to make a spray that he can go out and spray and have them die a lot faster, uh, you simply get strong vinegar. You get the 9% vinegar at the grocery store. You visit a nursery and get as much as 20% vinegar. You add two ounces of orange oil per gallon of vinegar, just a little squirted dish soap, and then you don't dilute it at all. You just spray that on the foliage, and the weeds will be dead in about 15 minutes. You don't have to soak the ground. Uh, Just a small amount of spray will cover a big area. 
So that's one thing. But in my own yard, I'm just mowing them off, and they're already starting to die out. Uh, your native grass will come out and take over as soon as we get just a little warmer. This is most likely going to be our last little cold spell, so to speak, what we're going to see in the next two or three days. And uh, then the basic grass should take over. So um, that's sort of the choices. If you want to spray and kill, uh, just vinegar and orange oil is all you need. You don't have to go to any of the toxic poisons. But uh, the other, what I recommend is just mow it off, fertilize in very short order. Your native, uh, your good established permanent grass is going to come out and take over. Okay, sir. Thank you very much. Well, my pleasure. Thank you. Bye. All right. Well, that pretty much uh, what I'm going to do now is open up the phone lines for the Home Improvement Show. And uh, Martin and Jim be with you very shortly to answer those questions. Uh, just a couple of quick things. Uh, all you people that want to plant periwinkles, don't. Periwinkles, vinca, whatever you call it, uh, that plant is very susceptible to phytophthora wilt. I suspect there are people out there starting to offer them for sale, but until we warm up substantially more than we are now, you're really running the the risk of having them get the phytophthora and they simply fold up and die. There'll be tens of thousands of them dead before long. But uh, hopefully another couple of weeks, the nighttime temperatures uh, will be up higher and you can plant your periwinkles then. Okra, that's the one thing in the vegetable garden that I still think you are too early for. It's still time. I mean, it's a good time now for uh, tomatoes and peppers and eggplant. Good time for beans and squash and all that sort of thing. But uh, do hold off on your okra because, as uh, one of my callers was saying this morning, not, the soil temperatures aren't even up to 70 degrees yet. So while our air has been pretty hot uh, a couple of afternoons recently, the soil is still cool. So those are just two things that I really don't want you to jump the gun on, especially uh, on the uh, periwinkles or on the vinca. 